So God fulfills his promises. It's God's fulfilled promises. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 20. It's the millennial kingdom, and it's God's fulfilled promise to Israel. And this is the main reason, I believe, in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ. If you want to uh, <coughs> have the digital notes, go ahead and scan that QR code. The <coughs> oh, man. Till today. <laughs> uh, they're all notes there on the back table. Today we're going to cover a pre-millennial view of the millennium. If you want to have a full discussion of amillennial or otherwise known as inaugurated millennial and post-millennial views, then scan that QR code. It'll take you to our YouTube page and I have a full part series on the millennial kingdom. And you can look at that stuff in, uh, in a long discussion. So, but I will give you three capstones so on these definitions, just so you know. Uh, the thousand-year reign, the premillennial view, believes that the thousand-year reign uh, of Christ is a thousand years uh, happening after the second coming, where Christ will rule and reign on the earth for 1,000 years, thus premillennial. All millennial or inaugurated millennial believe that the millennial kingdom is not a literal thousand years, but it is an undenounced section of time to speak of completeness and that it started at the resurrection and that Christ is ruling and reigning in heaven until he decides to come back and bring in the new heaven and new earth. And we rule and reign with Christ when we die, we go to heaven to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we reign with him. So they one is physical, and the other one is spiritual. If you want to listen to a whole discussion on that, uh, again, go to the YouTube. Now, postmillennialism believes that Christ returns after the church through evangelism, through the spreading of the gospel, brings in a golden age, and then Jesus comes back. That's postmillennialism. They don't necessarily believe in a, thousand, a literal thousand years either. They just believe the church will bring in that thousand years. So just keep those things in mind as we go through. This is a presentation, though, on premillennial views. So why have a thousand-year reign of Christ? I am so ready for the new heavens and new earth. Why do we have to have a thousand-year reign of Christ? Why don't we just enter in to the eternal state? Well, we got the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and everything is just absolutely perfect, right? Why? Well, because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And it is to fill the promise that God made to Israel. And just for example, this is not all of them, but he made the promise that he will physically reign from Jerusalem, and that he will rule all the nations, and that all the nations will come to Jerusalem in Psalm 2, Psalm 72, 8 through 11, Isaiah 2, 1 through 4, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, Isaiah 35, 1 through 10, Jeremiah 2, 5 through 6, Micah 4, 1 through 8, and last but not least, Zechariah 14, 9 through 19. God keeps his promises. As 
Linda said, the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, right? And so God is a promise-keeping God. He made a promise to the people, the ethnic people of Israel, and he is going to keep that promise. Zechariah 14, 9 through 19 is actually a good summary of passages. It almost has all the elements. Let's look at it. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. The whole land shall be torn into a plain from Terimion, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem shall remain aloft on its site, from the gate of Benjamin to the place of the former gate, to the corner gate, and from the tower of Hanal to the king's press. And it shall be inhabited, for there shall never again be a decree to utter destruction. Jerusalem shall dwell in security. And this shall be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people of Jerusalem. Their flesh shall rot while they are still standing on their feet. Their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongues will rot out of their mouths. We'll be referencing the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 13. Lord willing. And on that day, a great panic from the Lord shall fall on them, so that each will seize the, other, the hand of the other, and the hand of the one will be raised against the hand of the other. Even Judah will fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations shall be collected, gold, silver, and garments in great abundance. And the plague like this plague shall fall on the horses, the mules, the camels, and the donkeys, and whatever beast may be in those camps. Then everyone who survives, everyone who survives, of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of booths. Verse 17. And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. Living in Illinois, we understand the importance of rain, don't we? When we don't get rain, what happens to our crops? They don't grow. They don't produce. Bushel count goes down, right? If we don't get rain for a really long time, right, then there's famine, right? This is a whole, right? Ethiopia, no. Oh, it's in Libya, that's it. Right now, it's in a huge famine because of drought and because of the war in Ukraine, because they got all their food or most of their grain supplies from Ukraine, and now the war has cut that supply off. So, famine, because of no rain. Verse 18. And in the, if the family of Egypt does not go up to present themselves, then on them there shall be no rain. There shall be plague in which the Lord afflicts the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. booths. This shall be the punishment to Egypt and the punishment to all the nations that do not go up to keep the feast of booths. When is this happening? This is happening during the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, physically, over the nations. For as it says in Psalms 2, he shall rule them with a rod of iron. Right? So the millennial reign is going to be God in charge and God ruling the world directly, not indirectly. But not all will listen. Even though God is 
despite their faith to faith. So here we see the promise of the Messiah reigning, Jesus reigning from Jerusalem over all the nations, specifically those who survive the battle of Armageddon. And God is faithful to his promises. He promised to Israel that he would reign and that they would be a, a, a ruling power on the earth. That has never, ever been fulfilled. Right? In fact, right now, Israel is always like getting the brunt end of everything. Then I saw an angel coming down from where? He came down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit with a great chain. Okay? So he has, coming from heaven, he has a key and he has a great chain. So the angel is coming with authority. Why? Because he comes from God. He comes from heaven. And he has that authority of God. He holds the key to the abyss, the pit. We learned earlier that the abyss is a prison for the worst demons. For in Mark 8.31, the demons beg Jesus not to be cast where? Into the abyss, into prison. Right? And in 2 Peter 2.4 and Jude 4, they have a prison for the demons that sinned against God during, before the flood. And that's a whole other topic that I don't have time to go into. Revelation 9 shows that those demons being, re those demons being released on the earth, the key is the bottomless pit, the abyss opened up, those bad demons, they come out and they're used as instruments of God's judgment during this, uh, the plagues. The seals, so no, nine is trumpets, that's it. <laughs> Sorry. The great chain is showing God's yeah, that's right. The great change is showing God's power to what? Bind the enemy. Satan is not God's equal, amen? He is not God's equal. And God is going to bind him. God, in my opinion, has already cast him out of heaven. He is here on this earth, but God has cut him off from heaven and said, No more! The cross is enough! My son gave it all. And you have no right and no place to be that accuser in heaven anymore. Bye-bye. Boom. Revelation chapter 12. Cast to where? Earth. And now, instead of the enemy accusing you before the Father, you have the Spirit of God interceding for you. You have the Jesus that's seated at the right hand representing you. Oh, church, that's good news. That's exciting. Revelation 22 says, And the angel seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. That's, that's six times, actually, this comes that word, thousand years. Bound him for a thousand years. And he didn't just bind him up. He's not like the dog in the backyard with the big chain that you locked up and that you don't like to walk by because every time you go by the fence, he's like, right? Like little Yoshi, he thinks that he can 
chew everybody's leg off, right? No, he's homeless. But, but you know, you know, big dogs are scary, right? He's not bound on a chain here on earth, right? What's it say? And it threw him into the pit, the abyss, and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. <laughs> God fulfills his promises. That's why. Yippee! <laughs> Satan is seized and bound in the abyss. He's not, won't be on this earth anymore. And it is sealed. It is sealed by the power of God. It's interesting. Jesus was put in the tomb, and that was sealed, wasn't it? As a symbol of authority that you weren't supposed to go in there. And that seal definitely didn't keep Jesus in the grave, did it? Right? But this seal, this is the seal of God's power. Satan is not coming out of the abyss until God's appointed time. Good news. It's really good news. So what a day that will be when we no longer, when he is no longer free to prowl around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. Seeking to destroy lives. And he is active doing that today. It doesn't take much looking around to see the activity of the demonic. If you're a futurist, you hold the position that Satan is bound or totally taken, totally out of play during the thousand years. He does not have, and his minions do not have any influence whatsoever. And why? Why would he do that? Why would God do that? Well, because I think that what instituted the fall in the Garden of Eden who did that? Satan did that, didn't he? Right? And who instituted the 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 pop uh, <clears throat> the what's the word I'm looking for? The contamination of the human race in Genesis chapter six. Demons, right? And who instituted building a tower to reach God? Demons. You see, they've been at play and are messing with God's creation. They are part of God's creation, but messing with it from the beginning. And so I think God says, a thousand years, I'm giving men, humanity, a fair shake. <laughs> I'm taking all the demonic out of play. Let's see what they do. Right? Just my opinion, my deduction, there's deductive systematic theology for you. If you're a partial or full preterist, then Satan is only bound in regard to being able to deceive the nations. Also, an idealist would be this, hold this uh, position. And also, if you're like a post-millennialist, that would be your position. He's only bound in, in regard to being able to deceive the nations, allowing the church to effectively evangelize them. I would say he's bound right now in regard to uh, 
overwhelmingly uh, deceive the nations, and he's bound in regards to the authority in the, which he has over the lives of believers because Christ's sacrifice and resurrection is sufficient, and in, when we choose to stand in that truth, he is bound. Amen? So he is partially bound now, but he is not totally bound. And if we're totally honest, as we reflect, each of us have strongholds in our lives that we are not willing to totally submit to God because we kind of like that sin at times that plagues us. So if you, I favor the futurist view of his binding since he is in where? The abyss, right? And is not coming out until God allows it. Oh, that day, I hope, comes quickly that he is put in the abyss, right? It's such good news to know that God limits Satan, amen? He even limits him today, right? Satan just doesn't do whatever he wants. He's limited by God. In Revelation 12, 8, we see that he is, see that his access to heaven is cut off. Remember, he has a war in heaven, and then he's thrown down well, to the earth where we are, and he can't go back to heaven to excuse us. This happens at the cross, in my opinion, or, or during Jesus' uh, time on earth. Mark uh, 10, 18 would address that. Jesus says, I saw after the 72 uh, disciples come back from casting out demons and healing the sick, he, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. So you could take it that as a time marker if you want. So he, he is, access is cut off from heaven. And now in Revelation 23, we see that his access on earth will be cut off. Being limited. Praise the Lord, for he keeps his promises. He has said it, and he will do it. Revelation 24 says, Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those who to whom the authority was committed. Also, I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand The Old Testament background for this is Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. It says, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Amen. So who's seated on these thrones? All believers, or we are, were seated on these thrones. Sharing, joining Jesus's, Jesus in his reign. Isn't that cool? Well, the reclaiming of Eden. God had set us to joint rule the earth with him, to be his stewards, and he's reclaiming that. There's a special attention given to the believer coming out of the great nation, since the book is written as an encouragement to have hope and perseverance under persecution, for the reward is great. This is fulfilling the promise given in Revelation 3.21, which says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit 
with me on my throne as I have conquered and sat with my father on his throne. Amazing. Sharing rule with God. In its fullness, praise God, he fulfills his Revelation 25 says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Ended. This is the first resurrection. So what is the idea of the first resurrection? Well, Patterson writes, The first resurrection is not emphasizing order, but life. In other words, the first resurrection is a resurrection to eternal life. While the second resurrection will be a resurrection to damnation, the second death. Not a resurrection you want to be a part of, I assure you. May we all share in the first resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 supports the idea for Christ is the what? First fruits, the first to rise from the dead, never to die again. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, amen? He's alive, we believe that. And if we don't believe that, then I don't know what, we do, what we're doing being Christians because that is our hope, that we will share in his resurrection. These are the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Idiom for those who have died. Praise the Lord for his promises of the first resurrection and may we all share in it, amen? And how do we share in it? We confess Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And then we will be blessed. Well, 6 says, Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, for they will be priests of God and of Christ and reign with him for a thousand years. Do you want to be blessed and holy? To share in the first resurrection? Yes? Yes? I can't hear you. Yes, yes, we do. All right. If you do, confess Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you will be saved. Thus, sharing in the first resurrection. It's the best news that I could ever tell anybody. If you have done this, then death has no power over you. Though you die, you will live again. This life here is only the beginning of the eternal relationship with the creator of all things. The creator of all things. A eternal relationship with the creator of all things. This is eternal life, to know God and the one whom he has sent. What an awesome, awesome privilege that me, his creature, finite me who gets everything wrong, well, not everything, but most things wrong, who can't perform ever good enough, who hurts people just by breathing at times. I get to have a relationship with him. He's made it available for you to have a relationship with him. To share in his rule. She's fine. I love it. 
praise the Lord for his promise. Verse 7, and when the thousand years ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to see the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. Man, I am not making good time on this. God values choice. It's the only reason I can explain this. God values individual choice. And then during the thousand-year reign, he rules them with a rod of iron. There's not a lot of choice. And so since God values choice, once again, he plings this deceiver, accuser, destroyer on the scene. And this discuser, destroyer, what's he do? He deceives, he destroys, and he accuses. Verse 9, and they marched over the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city, that is Jerusalem. But the fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur with a beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hell is eternal. I know that doesn't set well oftentimes in our mouth, but it is eternal. Here we see history repeating itself through the hubris of man and Satan. They think God can be defeated, they, that they can dictate terms to him. Ever feel like you can dictate terms to God? Sometimes we do especially when our comfort is threatened, we're like, what are you doing? I got a better way, right? God responds in what? Judgment. For he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And may we be those of humble of heart and serve the Lord. Satan is cast in the lake of fire where he is totally defeated, never again to accuse, deceive, or destroy. He was removed from heaven. He will be removed from earth, and he will be totally vanquished, for Jesus is king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Praise God, for he keeps his promises. <clears throat> Anybody have a cough drop? Help me out there. Then I saw a great right throne and him who seated on it from his presence, earth and nice. Oh, it's even a good one. Thank you. Ricola. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for him. The Old Testament background for this is Daniel 7, 9 through 10. And I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Thousands and thousands served him, and tens of thousands times tens of thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books 
for a while. The great white throne judgment is not to be confused with the judgment seat of Christ, where we stand before Christ and he will judge us on how we built on his foundation of salvation, as seen in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, I, like a scared master builder, laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each of you take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is who? Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, woods, hay, straw, each one's work will become an act, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on foundation survives, he will receive a word. Work is for loss, though he himself will be what? Saved. So this is not a, a, a judgment of salvation, right? This is a judgment of what we've done with the gift of salvation for the kingdom of heaven. He will be saved as though by fire. Another way to say that, or as though by the skin of your teeth. We do not want to attend the great white throne judgment. The imagery of earth and the sky fleeing from his presence is not to communicate that they are destroyed, but to communicate the terror of God's presence in judgment. Right? It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God when you have not believed in Jesus Christ. So God has promised a coming judgment. This is a good thing. Judgment is coming. Justice is coming. You look around and you see all kinds of injustice, don't you? Right? And justice is coming to the injustices. God will make it all right. And I pray that we are all ready and building on Jesus' foundation of salvation. It's not owning salvation. It's walking and building for Christ. Verse 12 through 13. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the book according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in them. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. In this coming judgment, none are exempt. None are left out. All are judged based on their own merits. Not, not a place that we want to be. None will attain eternity with God, for all their works are as filthy rags. They have all sinned and all gone their own way, and the wrath of God abides on them forever. This is not us, church. It's not us. And we pray for this, that this won't be you, unsaved person. We have a burden for you. We want you to be with us. We want you to share in eternity. We want you to receive God's gift of salvation, for God keeps his promises.
verse 20, maybe chapter 20, verse 14 says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Death and Hades. Boom, gone. Woof, yeah. 15, and anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Good news. Death and Hades will be vanquished, annihilated, finished. Come on. There we go, finished. They don't want to pop up for some reason. For God keeps his promises. So you have a choice. You can share in the first resurrection, building on Christ's foundation, laid down by the cross and resurrection, and not be blotted out of the book of life. Or you can share in the second resurrection by building on your own foundation and have your works raid against you at the end of time. This is a bad option, just so you know. For all our works are as filthy rags without the foundation that Jesus has laid. Acts. One more. So believe in Jesus and choose to build on the foundation for he is our cornerstone and in his works we must stand. It is for him that we do all things. For God's glory. And may we go forth doing that today. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you fulfill your promises, that you promises are yes and amen. We thank you that you have given us salvation, and we pray that we would confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and thus be saved. And then I pray that saved, that we would live for your kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, for your glory, for your honor. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.